Hey everyone, this is Smoke Humphrey, and I am so excited to be back on whatever device you listen to podcasts on. You've heard my voice previously on our Rustic Recruiting Podcast, where we explored teaching techniques, the recruiting process, and what it means to be a weapons officer. Those themes still exist in our new podcast, Behind the Green Door, but we've adopted a new format. We've decided to do interview-style conversations where we talk about the backgrounds, special projects, history of the rustics, the syllabi in our courses, and new concepts the Intel community is trying to figure out. And I say we as I'm joined by my co-host, Zero Fox. Hi, Smoke. How are you? I'm doing great. I am so excited to be here and to be invited. I thought it was more of a charity case than anything else to have you uh, come here and help me as an instructor. No, no, and no. And also in this podcast. No, it's true. But I will say I remembered you from... Ex- expert demonstration of both the Rustic Recruiting uh, Season 1 and also Rustic Recruiting Season 2, the Sonic Matthews Files. Uh, <laughs> those were some of my favorite podcasts. And now that we're starting to this to enter into this Season 3 slash reboot slash new approach to how we do Rustic Podcasts, I am beyond excited to be here. Um, and ultimately... Well, listen, when I saw your resume, Fox and Cybert in the morning, I, I just knew you had to join the team. That's right. There was a, uh, there was a small stint in my life, uh, uh, soon to be Miss Diamond, Miss Humphrey. There was a soon <laughs> small stint in my life that I ended up uh, working on a radio station, of which, of which I will say, if there's ever any recorded history of that, there is no way I'll be able to run for political office in the future. Anyway... The, uh, the biggest thing with this podcast, though, is that you might have understood that there seems to be a uh, what would be an attention deficit disorder of themes. <laughs> We're going to attack a bunch of different themes of which we will probably present them in the title to tell you what exactly that episode would be about. The reason why we decided to treat it this way and treat it in an interview style format is ultimately for us, we think that there's plenty of different avenues we could take this down, whether it be through history, special projects, the syllabus, new tools and concepts, even talking about actual academic lessons potentially for the future. Ultimately, we thought, hey, let's just do it all. Why not? Uh, I mean, Intel already does, right? That's right. Amen. So ultimately for us, I assure you the process of getting to this place has not been uh, very easy as we have tried this recording this exact recording multiple times and we've also tried uh, even this process of starting a podcast uh, multiple times but smoke trust me it's not the destination sometimes it's the journey absolutely that's right uh most importantly though we'll probably take breaks throughout as we talk and break into some more stories it'll be very informal and sometimes we'll talk about some of our greatest failures, of which I have many. There may be some unsanctimonious BSing that takes place, or maybe a little bit of some personal agendas. So well, Personally, I prefer sanctimonious BSing, so that's right. probably do that as well. That's right. Instant justice is always open. Ultimately, I promise you guys that we will never take ourselves too seriously. We will take the work seriously, but never ourselves. So that's that. That's our plan. I don't want to say we have a goal. It's more of a process and we'll see which way it takes us. So I know what you're thinking right now. A podcast like this is only going to be as good as its guests. And well, you're right. And so that's why our first guest today for our first interview is going to be me, right? That's right. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, If anything, I have debilitating lack of confidence on a lot of these things, but we'll see where this takes us. Before we get into the interview though, I want to talk about our assumptions about the audience. Truthfully, we don't care who the audience is. You can That's be right. a 14N, a 1N, a kid in ROTC, or a civilian with a lot of time on your hands. The goal for us is to build, teach, and lead, and it doesn't matter. In true WIC fashion, we're going to start our podcast with a demonstration. And I'll start by interviewing none other than Zero Fox. 
God help you. All right, Zero, let's start with your journey to weapon school. How did you become a student to begin with? Okay, so um, first off, I'll start with uh, when I joined the Air Force. So I came in in uh, 2009. I was straight, straight commissioned and then went to uh, Intel school. Had no idea what uh, weapon school was. I uh, went from there to Fort Meade, spent a lot of time at, at Fort Meade, and then went from Fort Meade uh, to NSA Colorado out in Denver. Um, so ultimately, I had never been stationed anywhere with an airfield. And at that point, I ran into uh, my first Tier 1 weapons officer, uh, Zap Bertieri, uh, and also one of our other Tier 1 national treasures, Mr. Mark Burney out of NSA Colorado. That's right, the Burninator. He burninates the countryside. And the peasants. No, sorry for a Trogdor <laughs> reference I had to drop in there. But ultimately, uh, they told me about this. There's this school that exists where you can go out and learn things and teach. And at the time, I had absolutely no desire to do that. But <laughs> but I felt pressure. Uh, I, I had friends, and they were telling me that it would be a cool thing for me to do. And I was very impressionable. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll check this out. And eventually what happened, like all things... I really learned to like the idea of trying something completely new and trying something that was very hard. Uh, of what, of what I wanted to learn was everything about the Air Force that I hadn't had the exposure to in the first seven years of my career, which was all SIGGIN. Uh, so naturally, uh, my first question during spin-up getting into WIC to try and become a student uh, was, uh, Zap, uh, do you mind telling me what this 3-1 book is you speak of and where can I get it? And yeah. Of which he slapped his forehead and said, we have made a huge mistake. Uh, but it was already too late. I was already accepted into the course and ultimately uh, went through WIC and that is where I met a lot of my friends. And that was in 2017. Um, and from there, they sent me uh, to Italy, so I really couldn't complain. My wife and family uh, got a chance to live overseas for two and a half years as a Tier 1. That's awesome. And you came back to the 19th at the end of 2019, right? I did. I came back in uh, November of 2019. Um, and from that, Italy. From Italy, right. Which and, coincides with another timeline. Yeah, I, I gave, uh, at this point, we escaped a pandemic. It was very much, I very much felt like a little Kurt Russell-ish in Escape mm. from New York. Yep. However, uh, decided that, you know, came back to the States may have brought that with me. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, did not. So is that so. why you're zero? Because you were patient zero. Could be patient zero. Uh, that is that of is, the global pandemic. I will accept that as patient zero from the global pandemic. I have not been to any wet markets recently. <laughs> so uh, you came back at the end of 2019. You've been an instructor here for at least a class and a half, right? Mm -hmm. How does the course look different than it did in 2017? Oh my goodness. Well, uh, so in 2017, uh, it was. At that time, we were just starting to get into this uh, tool indoctrination, uh, probably led by one slot Harper. He, I'm sure he won't mind us dropping his name, but there was a, an infusion of intelligence tool sets that were used in the course in that early stages of 2017. We were all getting used to being able to use automation to be able to pull and extract and visualize data. Uh, when I arrived three years later in 2019-2020 timeframe, that had matured into being a huge part of this course, this, uh, this ability to be able to leverage. It's no longer a question of do we have the right data? It is how do we find the right data and set our filters up that we can use the machines to our advantage. 
ultimately the Elon Musk quote of, if you uh, can't beat the machines, uh, screw it, let's join them. And that's exactly what happened uh, since in 2020. Now is very much a course that is very heavy on data analytics and the ability to use some of these tool sets to still do those um, elbow grease Intel style analytics that we do and gives us, frees us up to do more time to do those assessments. Yeah, and, and that's um, one of the reasons that we wanted to reboot this podcast, right? We're going to start exploring data analytics and the roles of those fusion tools that you mentioned as part of our syllabus, if you will, for this podcast, right? Absolutely. Um, I would say it's it's going to be a, a huge concept in a future episode that we do here. But ultimately, too, uh, what we are looking for is the ability to be able to not use the nonsensical business jargon that you'll often find at most of these uh, sales shows, I would say, when they try to advertise these different tool sets. At the end of the day, we wanna make sure that we can just illustrate to the audience that all Intel really is, is who is it, what is it, where is it, why is it doing what it's doing, and what is their intent? And we use these visualization tools to be able to put data on a map and ultimately answer that activity and location question or object-based production. Oh, look, I already used the buzzword. Yeah, you did. For those playing at home, that's a drink. <laughs> anyway, no, that activity-based intelligence, which all that really means is stuff happened at a place, using these intelligence tools to be able to uh, optimize our learning out here. So Zero, you were introduced to those tools and resources in your time at WIC as a student, right? Uh, yes, that's right. Okay, and then how did you apply them uh, in your life as a tier one? Ooh, okay. So let me start this uh, first with a little bit of an anecdote. How about that? Ooh. All right, ready? Okay, cool. Uh, so Smoke, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, what do you think the first job I wanted to do was when I was a kid? Radio host. Priest. Weird. <laughs> uh, but the second job, what do you think that was? Actor. Lawyer. Ah, Close damn. Enough. And you know why? You know why? The lawyer's kind of an actor. It is pretty much an actor. <laughs> the, I remember my earliest memory, my parents, who weren't very disciplined with what was on TV, I got to watch the O.J. Simpson trial. Hey. You may be asking yourself, what does this have to do with intelligence tools? A little bit. I will tell you. Okay. So, ultimately, I wanted to be a lawyer. So, what did I research about becoming a lawyer? It had to do with uh, finding evidence. And ultimately, for me, uh, researching evidence and making a case was something I appreciated when I got to do a debate team in high school and everything like that. And then I got to find this, this great intelligence tool sets that's going to give me data to back up my assessments and my evidence. So ultimately, uh, that was one of the things that I used as an analogy to the classroom when I was a tier one. I said, look, guys, if you want to make an assessment for something, we have to be able to build our case. We have to make the assessment with the evidence. Now, that seems like a little bit of reverse logic, right? Like I'm going in there with an assessment first and then just finding the evidence that meets it. Um, I didn't mean to do it that way, but <laughs> sometimes I will tell you, you start to learn to use data in a way that if you just tie it to a story, all intelligence, right, is who, what, where, when, and why. Same as any kind of narrative format when you think of something. So when I find tools like Fade Mist that tell me a story about a certain detectable signature or if I see an image that tells me a story about a certain detectable signature in a tool like iSpy, I would use those tools as illustrations combined with the analogy of this is a courtroom case and I'm presenting this evidence to make this most likely assessment or this most dangerous assessment of what I think is happening. So that is uh, how I use those tool sets and I used it to illustrate uh, 
Anytime that we had any briefing, a threat of the day briefing or a mission planning event, uh, we use those toolkits uh, within my tier one assignment at Aviano Air Force Base to help prove and illustrate our points. It was our evidence. How have you applied that as an instructor at the 19th? I haven't. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Let me ask that again. No, no, go ahead. How have you applied that as an instructor at the 19th? Okay. Um, so it's been a lot harder here because when I was at Aviano as a tier one using these tool sets, I was like, they thought I was really good at using it. And then I came here where everybody is really good at <laughs> using the tool sets. And I realized that I was the worst at using it. So it was like, it was a... I don't know. Have you seen Blitz on a computer? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't... I, I guess he's technically not the 19th. He's still, we'll give him a pass. Blitz still uses a grease pen. So we're going <laughs> to make fun of him a little bit here. And he'll probably not listen to this. That's fine. That's fine. He doesn't know how to access a podcast. That's right. If he knew how to access a podcast, he would be insulted right now. But he doesn't. Anyway, um, how we've used it in the 19th has been uh, getting a chance to talk because everybody from the 19th instructor cadre come from all of these different locations. You, Smoke, your tier one was in Misawa, correct? That's right. That's right. So you're looking at a Paycom target set, correct? Correct. Correct. We had a lot of different people coming from uh, CENTCOM, coming from UCOM, coming uh, from NORTHCOM even, and working in special operations forces. They all used these intelligence tool sets in different ways. So when I first arrived here, uh, what we ended up doing was starting to build out different tutorials on how to use these toolkits to answer problems for each AO. And ultimately, that's really been the, ex the expenditure of my knowledge base. We're trying to look for different data fields, how to manipulate different data to get greater fidelity on a target, as well as uh, using that information in areas where the signatures may be way different. So looking in a UCOM target set is way different than looking at a PACOM target set. But the methods and the uses of the tools remain the same. So tools and resources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, was I talking too much? <laughs> no, no, no. It's just not the only reason that we have to be here today, right? I, I don't trust uh, <laughs> the hint. I sense a hint of sarcasm in your voice, and I don't trust what you're saying. I think it's just important to highlight how the 19th has expanded beyond advanced suites on a computer, right? Like We have like two other courses now. That's that's right. And I, and I don't want to give the wrong impression. Guys, gals, I'm a poli-sci major. Like You don't necessarily have to be a swordfish on the computer to figure this place out. Again, as we already referenced, Blitz graduated this course. <laughs> Ultimately, uh, what I will say, the course has expanded both not just in our curriculum, which we're trying to get our podcast to reflect that by sh having these podcasts on those lessons. But we've also expanded it in the actual people that attend here, right? We have a course called AIC, which is going to be, uh, that's our enlisted version of our course, uh, essentially going through virtually the same curriculum that we're going through uh, here in the IWIC side. Uh, there are also a recce course as well, which is our U2 and RQ4 brethren uh, have come into the course to uh, have a curriculum that is essentially based upon, one, being experts in their own platform, but then also learning how to be an ISR, Intelligence, Fearless, and Reconnaissance team lead within an MPC. So ultimately, uh, this course has really expanded both in depth and breadth uh, of the people who participate in it, as well as the topics that we cover. So in addition to being an instructor for those courses, you're also the ADO of Weapons and Tactics. That's right. An empty title uh, bestowed upon me. I have no idea as to why. Can you explain a little bit in a nutshell of like what Weapons and Tactics brings to the table for the 19th? Uh, yes. In one word or less, I will say outreach. 
ultimately, does that mean outreach to other tier ones? Does that mean outreach to other tier twos or to the entire IC? The way that uh, myself, uh, Captain Alex Milhouse, Bomb Milhouse, and Captain uh, Francesca Chun, Jeannie Chun, have looked at weapons and tactics has been that it is something that we will take the things we're learning here in the 19th, we're not going to stovepipe it, and we're going to put areas where people can take the products that we create here or the new initiatives that we make, we'll write about them, and we'll hang them on JWix and Sipper uh, iSpace pages, as well as disseminate out uh, throughout the Fraternal Order of the Green Door and other Tier 1 and Tier 2 avenues, uh, different updates about what's going on in the course. So, a very uh, to make a short story long, I will just say outreach is the number one thing that we're doing for weapons and tactics. We get a lot of exposure here uh, to people who want to use the weapons school as a place to test their new and fancy toys. And ultimately, uh, we get firsthand knowledge and application to mission planning of those toys. So we essentially offer up to these communities free labor and uh, and ultimately free advertising because we're able to then talk about those new systems, tools, techniques, new contracted solutions, and put that out into the broader uh, broader 14N and 1N communities, as well as to the entire IC. It's really exciting to hear what you guys are doing with weapons and tactics from the time that I was in that shop. Although in my day, it was called women in tactics because oh. it was... All chicks. Really? Except blood. Okay. Okay. Well, I mean, and then, oh, and then now you've, now you've married blood or you were about to marry blood. Yeah. 11 days. Oh, congratulations. Days. See, even in the rustic community, you two can find love. <laughs> uh, and sometimes we just have to, you know, keep it within the family. That's right. Sort of. It's like an incestuous love relationship in the rustic community. It's just not kidding. incestuous. I'm sorry. It's, it's not, not incestuous. No, no, I'm just kidding. They're only cousins. <laughs> no. So the idea, I'm joking. Now, enough about me, though. Uh, Smoke, I need to talk a little bit about you. So we just talked about, you know, I talked about myself, one of my favorite subjects. But ultimately, I want to ask you a few questions. Okay. Why did you decide to come to WIC? So I, like you, had a lot of ideas about what weapon school was. I had heard about patches, and I was like, okay, neat. I'm not really sure what that means. Um, And... I came to Nellis to do a red flag planning conference and one of the pilots that I worked with at Beale um, had to come to the 19th and had me tag along with him to learn about what weapon school was because he had been talking about it and I was like, okay, sure. So I got here and I had to, I got to sit down with the DO and it was kind of unexpected. I felt like I got a little bit tricked into figuring out what weapon school was. It was one of those like, oh, the DO just happens to be by the door when we walked into the vault. Very convenient. Like, um, but as soon as I figured out it was all about teaching, I knew I wanted to do it. Uh, my mom was a teacher. I grew up with educators in my family. My dad was a military officer. And so it just made sense to kind of combine the two. And that is what brought me to weapon school. It was my desire to teach and be the best teacher that I could be. So you showed up to the weapon school dinner party and you didn't know it was a pampered chef sale. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So you yep. got tricked into joining. Sure did. That's awesome. Sure did. That's awesome. Yeah. So once you, once you decided to come to WIC, what was your background as a lieutenant? Like what, what subjects were you studying? Uh, just, um, well, subjects in terms of what was I working on? Uh, sometimes I like to use very, very, vague, stupid <laughs> words instead of the words like, what was your first assignment? There we go. Uh, so I was at Beale Air Force Base where I did unit level intel primarily for the U2s and a little bit with the RQ4 guys. So you were at DGS2? I was not at DGS2. Contrary no. to popular belief, you Beale, you DGS is not all that true. Oh, I, I do apologize. No I did not mean to uh, put <laughs> you in that 
Horrible DGS2 no, camp. The, I'm just the, kidding, DGS2 listeners. Yes. Yeah. We love you, DGS2. Uh, only DGS2, though. Strictly. That's right. DGS4. Dead to us. Here. Get out of here. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I was in the 9th OSS, and I deployed a couple times with the U2s. That's why I was primarily focused with them. Um, ironically, I had signed up for the job because I thought I would be working with MC12s, and then they moved to AFSOC shortly after I got there. Oh, no. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a different experience, but I was happy where I wound up. Okay, so straight from your first assignment at Beale yep. right to weapons. That's store. right. How many years were you for assignment? Two and a half, about three. I was a first lieutenant when I showed up to WIC. So you were a young buck. I was. Okay, so you yeah. and I are exactly polar opposites mm-hmm. here. So I joined, I had to have a waiver. I was in my seventh to eighth year, right? And then you were your third year into the Air Force. I time. guess technically it was my fourth because I did pin on captain while I was here. Okay. So, uh, but yeah, definitely one of the younger ones. And then in our class, uh, 15 Bravo, 15 Bravo, baby. That's right. Um, I pinned on as well as Archer, Fry. Okay. And then our um, senior, cl- or sorry, not senior class leader. What are they called? No, class leader, right? Yeah, yeah. class leader. Our class leader pinned on uh, major at the okay. time. So we had a little bit of a diversity in terms of rank. What was your what was your weapon school experience like as a student? Ooh, that's a great question. Um, the farther you get from it, the better it is, I guess. Okay. <laughs> uh, because you get a little nostalgic, right? So I remember the the parts of weapon school that I remember the most were the debriefs with our with our instructors in terms of learning how to move on um, from one event to the next. And then I remember being really close with my class and just like laughing a lot in the vaults and coming up with inside jokes to just get you through the day. And so while it was stressful and it was hard and there was a lot of things that happened that I learned a lot about myself, like emotionally and also like just in terms of capability, um, I definitely think it was a great experience. That's excellent. Yeah. Now, did you go through what I like to call the standard three emotions of weapon school while you go through the course? Have We're, you heard of this before? No. What are those three emotions? Okay, okay. So this is a theory that I've been working on for a little while. Excellent. You arrive to weapon school. Your first emotion you feel is excitement. Am I yeah. correct in that assessment? Uh, yeah, I would say, I think nerves outweigh oh, excitement. Oh, don't, no, oh, don't, oh, don't, oh, don't spoil. Okay. Don't spoil right, now. Okay, okay. That excitement lasts for about core one, which is about the first week or two, and then you get into fear. <laughs> okay, yeah. Then fear transitions into what I like to say probably occurs right around month four or five. It's different for everybody. Yeah. But that goes into rage. Hmm. Yeah. I think I, I think I would say like I was or like apathy. Te- yeah, I think the apathy is probably the, the okay. thing that I was more in line with instead of rage. It was just one of those um, definitely excited. Definitely felt like I didn't know what I was doing because. Well, I knew what the 3-1 was. I did not know what a frag drop was. Right, right. So within the first couple weeks of school, they're talking about frag drops and why it's important to understand these things. And I just had to ask those basic questions, which I felt very silly doing, but it's important to understand because everybody has different experiences, right? Um, So I definitely think that the fear came in when I kind of realized how little I knew. Mm -hmm. Um, And then... As you learn and seeing things start to click, you kind of feel like you get in a groove. But yeah, month four is probably about the place where I started feeling really just tired. That's right. That's yeah. right. So I think that is that is also the same pivot point of when confidence kicks in as well. It's because you're no longer afraid. You're confident that you can handle it. Yeah. And then ultimately, though, that transitions into this, why am I so tired? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> Excellent. That, yeah. I, I will tell you, Smoke, I had the exact same experience. And then ultimately, too, it was something where uh, probably the best time, the best time of my entire career took place in that four to five to six month period 
while I was in weapons school because uh, like you just said that I thought was awesome, you learn a lot about yourself. You learn about, and I carried lessons I learned in weapons school into my outside life, not just into my work life, for sure. Yeah, I definitely got um, far more effective at communicating at all at all things, as opposed right. to just like frag drop briefs, which were a big element of weapon school, but um, it also taught me how to be more effective in communicating, even though I'm not really showcasing that right now. I was gonna say communicating <laughs> effectively is different results. Results may vary, but I, I would say not you, Smoke, myself, as, I, as key earlier in this conversation when I have about 25 different misspeaks. Yeah. You finish up weapons school. I did. You graduate. <laughs> okay. Oh, well, I guess that would be a good thing. Did you actually graduate? I did. Oh, wow. Yay. That's why you're here. Yep. Uh, and your tier one was where? Misawa Air Base. Okay. And As from Misawa, what did what do you do there? So that is a F-16 base, um, which focuses on suppression of enemy air defenses. So it's a seed-focused Viper mission, which is kind of similar to Aviano. Is that wrong? We are we are classic Block 40 Vipers. Classic Block 40. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I'm thinking of Spain. Dropping bombs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so we did, obviously, PACOM, Focus, um, a couple of Red Flag Alaskas. Honestly, that was probably next, well, I don't know. It seems like the, going through weapon school, getting to be a tier one, and then instructing at the weapon school kind of are all tied for first place in terms of my assignments. Although I'd probably put going through weapon school in the latter half or the latter third of those three. It has a bronze medal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, for sure. excellent. It's on the podium. Awesome. So then you come back as an instructor. I did. Okay. And when, when did that happen? That was, um, 18 Alpha was my first class. So 18 Alpha was your first class. So yeah. you are a, what, what year are you? You're a 2011? I am. Commissioning. Okay. Mm -hmm. You go through the course in 2015. You come out here as an instructor in 20, uh, 2018. Man, you're like, you're zipping through. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. That's awesome. And then as an instructor, what were some of the things that you worked on when you first got here? So I was part of the recruiting team uh, where we did our first um, podcast, worked with Sonic and Ipso on that, did a lot of WIC looks and worked a little bit on the tier one and tier two outreach, mm -hmm. um, getting that stuff together. That kind of started to expand when Rage Rivera joined the team. And then honestly, that was pretty much everything that I did outside of teaching within the course itself uh, before I joined the group of um, individuals in the, the Commandant's Office of Integration, known as, in, known as COI, as the Chief of Academics. Oh, awesome. So how have you seen the entire weapon school change since your time as a student? And now that you're in this role where you are in, you are the Chief of Academics, you are the cheese when it comes down to teaching the entire weapon school curriculum, what has changed in that time frame? So I would say, I don't, I can't really pinpoint exactly what has changed since I was a student. Um, I do remember in, in core, in being a student in core and kind of wondering how aspects applied to everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and that probably comes from just being a student and like being in the moment, not truly up, uh, understanding the application and then getting to my tier one life and, and then recognizing like, oh, hey, we did a lesson on this in core. I could probably use that for mission qualification training. Right, right. Uh, for to under, to make my, um, Try to say. My team at Misawa understand like the different platforms or the um, aircraft that we're going to be at Red Flag Alaska, stuff like that. 
Um, so that's not really answering your question, which is something that you do to me all the time. That's okay. So yeah. let me start over. I actually appreciate <laughs> when you just dodge the question that I asked. That's my, um, that's my favorite. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's like what the debates that happen, right? That's what, oh, well, oh, hey, topical. Oh, go there. This anyway. will probably be published in a year from now. So ultimately <laughs> you will have no idea what we're talking about. None whatsoever. Okay, so what I'll say is from the time that I came back as an instructor in 18 Alpha to what I saw in 20 Alpha, first, we're definitely more flexible. So COVID really threw us for a loop last class. We had to figure out how to execute core two without having 150 people in an auditorium. So we started looking at how universities were doing it and we um, expanded our core two syllabus, or I shouldn't say expanded, we actually prioritized our core two syllabus and then started using things like video lessons and asynchronous lesson planning, meaning we didn't have instructors live with students. We had to rely on recorded videos and then virtual office hours. Um, what came with that as well was pivoting how we did WISN. So instead of having a bunch of people in the room um, in the MOD, which is our large auditorium here at the Weapons School, doing mission planning all together, we had to do that digitally. So we were forced to use things like DCS and VTCs to communicate. So um, while I always knew as a student and as an instructor, early instructor, that that was probably gonna be something that people were gonna face, we then had to face it here at Weapons School and showcase how we could solve those problems. So, so flexibility is definitely something that I think we have expanded on uh, from the time, from my first day of 18 Alpha to where we are now in 20 Bravo. And tying this back to the podcast and how we, yeah. we look at that, one of the things that I, I really gleaned from what you just said is this idea of distributed learning and dissemination of academics in this point. Um, if that's something that for us, we start to uh, leverage and use for an unclassified uh, resources that we were able to produce via this podcast and take some of those skills that you talked about, like online digital learning, recording academics, being able to distribute that across multiple geographically separated units, and ultimately to broader uh, intelligence community or 14N and 1N communities, uh, that's the goal, right? That's what we're trying to do here. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I really think that's great. Um, so in saying all of that, now you have been, uh, even though in that rough, rough position in COI, now you've decided to volunteer your own time and come back and, and find, finish out some of this rustic podcasting that we're about to do here. Is that correct? Yeah. And I'm really excited to continue these conversations with you and to see what guests we have coming up and to discuss the future of the 19th and even the history of the 19th is going to be really awesome. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you all for getting the opportunity to listen to us. And ultimately... You just thank them for getting the opportunity. Did I say that? <laughs> you did. Sometimes I start a sentence and I have no idea where I'm going with it. Uh, much like the Cheshire Cat, uh, if you don't know where you're going, everywhere is correct, right? The path. I think I screwed that one up too. Ultimately, guys and gals, what our plan is, is to uh, produce podcasts. Expect to have one here in the near future. Uh, about recruiting itself and how recruiting has changed. Expect to have one more in-depth on tools and maybe an interview with a newly deployed Tier 1, as well as uh, some other interviews that are out there that I think that you guys will all enjoy. All right, without uh, further ado, this has been Behind the Green Door. I am Zero Fox. And I'm Smoke Humphrey. Thank you very much.